Good morning. I'm glad to be able to have this opportunity to speak for you guys. <clears throat> and I'd like to say right at the outset today that this lesson is really aimed at people who are already Christians. It's uh, kind of an advanced teaching of sorts. And as such, it has some prerequisites. So I'd like you to check to see if this applies to you. Uh, it's really for people who have already heard the gospel, who have understood the grace of God and truth, people who have received Christ and been baptized, people who have died with Christ and been raised with Christ, and people who are saints. Uh, for faithful brothers and sisters and people who love the saints, and for people who already have a hope in heaven. Also, people who are fruitful and increasing, and redeemed, forgiven of sins, holy, blameless, and above reproach. People who are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who have put off their old self, who are serving Jesus now, and who know that they will receive an inheritance from God. Now, if you're not a Christian today, if you believe in Jesus, we can help you get these prerequisites in order at the end of services today, if you want to. But if this does apply to you, then Paul, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians, because we'll be studying in that. Paul writes this letter to Christians who he knows and has, who has heard about from Epaphras, who are in this condition. And he says that it is his great toil and struggle that supported by God and with all the power that God gives him, working mightily in him, it's his struggle to be able to present you mature in Christ. Now you may look at that list of prerequisites and say, uh, I'm not, how, how do you mature past that? <laughs> That's a pretty complete list of what it means to be a Christian. Well, we will talk about Paul's message, but in a, to kind of help with this, I'd like you to, to imagine for a minute, imagine a store full of all the issues of life. I'm going to call it the life store. This is like a mall that includes everything that we do, everything that we say, and everything that we think. This is where we go to shop to build up what our lives consist of. Now think for a moment, uh, before we were Christians, how did we shop in this store? What did we use to, to find what we wanted to pick up? Well, pretty much, we went with whatever looks good to us. Hopefully, we avoid breaking the law. Maybe some of us avoid doing things that are too dangerous. Some of us seek out things that are dangerous. But whatever looks good to us in this store, what, what seems like it would be fun to try, what our friends are trying, uh, um, stuff that appeals to our desires, the things that, that we'd like to make a part of our life. So we just shop around and gather up whatever seems interesting to us. What happened to us, though? Something happened that changed the way we shop in this store. Well, it was Jesus. Jesus happened to us. We believed in him. We died with him in baptism, and we were raised to walk in newness of life as new Christians. That changed the way we shopped in this store. And what Paul says, after telling them that he was glad to hear about their faith and that he was praying constantly for them to be increased in knowledge, he took time out in chapter 1 to tell them 
about Jesus in detail. So when we ask, how can we grow up? How can we become more mature? The first thing we need to know is who Jesus is and what he has done. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 23, he goes through a section where he tells us maybe things we don't necessarily think about Jesus all the time. But as we go through this passage, I'd like you to think about what it tells you, what view it offers into who Jesus is and what he has done. And I'll highlight the things up here as I read them too. This is talking about God the Father in the beginning. God the Father, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So Jesus has a kingdom, and it's not the kingdom of darkness, it's the kingdom of light. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we've been forgiven by him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So do you think he's familiar with what, the stuff in the life store? Well, he created it all. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's on the top of everything created and everything in existence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he's full of God because he is God. And through him, God was pleased to, to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus' blood on the cross is the instrument to make things right between all men and in heaven and earth, between, to, to repair the relationship between them and God. In fact, and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. All these things are important to know. They're the foundation of the understanding that Paul is going to give us. So how do we move on from this, knowing who Jesus is, how do we move on to grow up through this knowledge? Well, kind of paradoxically, he says, the first thing you need to do in order to continue to grow is stick to what you first learned. Return back to the things that you first learned. In fact, it's right there in the verse I read. You need to continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The problem is, if we go back to the life store, there are so many options to choose from out there in the store. Now I'd like you to go back to when you first became a Christian, when you were first converted. How did we shop when we first became Christians, when we were brand new? Well, I think in my experience, which is what I'm going to share from, 
kind of continued to shop the same way that I had before to some degree. I went with whatever looked good to me, but I added a new step. I came back and I checked to see whether or not that was okay with God. It's like, well, this looks interesting to me. Does this fit with God? And then uh, I was able to enjoy it or I would set it aside. Well, that's, there are several problems with that approach. And one of the problems is that we try to justify the things that we bring through our logic. And it kind of looks like this. Uh, you know, God doesn't say no to this. He doesn't say not to do this. I can probably fit this in. Uh, this isn't directly a sin. And you know, uh, I don't think it's going to tempt me or cause me to sin or draw me away. So I think I can fit that in. The problem with that is, if it didn't come from God, the question is, how did we get to it? How did we pick that out of the life store? And likely, it was drawn, we were drawn to it by our desires, by the things that we wanted. And the problem, another problem with that is that God rejects a lot of stuff. So when we first become a Christian, it can be kind of frustrating. It can be kind of like, thou shalt not enjoy stuff. When you become a Christian and bring it to God, he just says no to a whole bunch of things that you used to think was fun or, or interesting to you. And that can be discouraging. And the problem is we end up tending to focus on the stuff available out there in the world or in the life store. And you can imagine what that looks like. A person would be coming up to, where, to check with God and there would be a lot of things on the floor that got discarded and a small number of things that, were, that I liked that also God liked. And what that process really is, is a looking for common ground between me and God. And that's a great negotiation tactic. It works really well with people. Let's find out what we have in common, and let's find a way to come together on that. But that doesn't work with God. Our job is not to find common ground between us and God. It's to have him as our head. Remember, Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. He is the top, the head of all things to the church. Finding common ground with God is going to leave us far less effective as a Christian. In fact, uh, we're going to find that we may not even really be submitting because you find that if you want to submit to the eldership and you always agree with the things that the elders say, it's pretty easy to submit. If you want to submit to God and, he, and you're agreeing with what God tells you to do, for instance, I don't like the taste of alcohol and I don't like the idea of getting drunk, what people tell me about it. And God says that drunkenness is wrong. Well, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to be tempted to do that. It's really easy to submit to that because it's not submission. I'm just in agreement. I've found common ground with God. The real submission comes with when I disagree and I put myself below the leaders or below God. Another problem is that we're going to miss a lot of stuff that God wants because I'm just not going to be interested in it. I'm not going to pick it up from the life store and go to check to see if it's okay with God because I'm not interested. But God really wants me to find those things. And it also leads to a kind of strange disconnect, which we find in our lives as young Christians, where we go out into the world and we live our lives kind of like we always do, looking around for things, exploring things, and living our lives. And then we study the Bible or we come to services and that's when we encounter God. Then we have like our holy time where we're sorting out things. And then we kind of go back to our regular life and live it like normal. And there's like this division between shopping and 
consulting God. And that's not healthy for a Christian either. There shouldn't be a division in that time. And another, the final problem I'm going to talk about from my personal experience is that there's constantly new stuff coming into this store. And we can waste our entire lives or even all of our potential just sorting through, just saying, how about all this stuff? Does this work with God? Uh, how about the latest crop of shows or the latest things on YouTube or you know, that new magazine or whatever's on the internet? Is this good? Is this good? And we're just sorting and sorting through. Because what's happening out there is these things are being dangled in front of us, kind of like a lure through advertising and through other kinds of pushing to us, that they're luring us. And what they use to attract us is our desires, the things that our subconscious desires even are what are targeted. So if I told you there was someone out there who was dangling things in front of us to attract us, trying to aim for our subconscious desires, who does that sound like? Yeah, the person holding that fishing pole a lot of the times is Satan, trying to draw us away into our own desires and not towards Christ. So the problem was faced also by the Colossians because they had so many different choices. In chapter 2, Paul talks about a lot of them. The first thing he says is, I told you, I reminded you about who Jesus Christ was so that you wouldn't be drawn away by plausible arguments by logical thinking, by coming to conclusions that make a lot of sense. Uh, these, are, these are the kind of great ideas that come from man that can be brought into our lives. Like, hey, when we gather together all the money here from this congregation uh, in the contribution that we just did, we can do a lot of work that's bigger than any of us can do individually. How about if we got a bunch of congregations together and we gathered all that money together into one organization, they could do a much bigger work than we could do individually. That makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't come from God. It comes from man. It's off the path. How about um, you got a small congregation that you're starting up and you don't have anybody that's qualified to be an elder. Well, we have a lot of great elders here. Why don't we just temporarily assume the eldership of that congregation while you get on your feet? That seems like a good idea. And it will keep you, you know, so you're not without elders. That's a, that's a smart, plausible idea that comes from man's thinking, not from God. And what Paul says is, you need to follow Christ just as you received him. Don't be drawn away by those arguments or enticed by them. You need to be rooted and built up in what you learned initially. Be established in him instead. And then he says, he talks about philosophies. The people in Colossae were exposed to a lot of oriental philosophies from one side and Greek philosophies from the other. A lot of human thinking is in the shape of philosophies, including denominations as we know them today. Like Methodists are caught up in, in following John Wesley's idea of how to be a Christian. Uh, Buddhists are, are a particular man's idea about how to become more enlightened. Well, some of those are great ideas. We could probably bring those into Christianity. Maybe transcendental meditation or a few things from New Age, the New Age movement could help us be more effective as Christians. He warns us against that kind of thinking. And there's just straight empty deceit, people trying to deceive us and draw us away from the path. Then there's the traditions of men. They're things that everybody has done for a long time or everybody is doing now. This just makes sense. And then he talks about the elemental spirits of the world, which are basically the rudimentary elements of 
the things that the world has to offer, uh, teachings and things that the world has to offer, could well be other things within the life store. What he says to them instead is, remember Jesus Christ is filled completely full with the Godhead? You be filled with the fullness of Christ. Don't go looking elsewhere to fill in what's missing. Don't be drawn by your desires. You feel like maybe you need a little bit more. Let's pull a little bit more exciting things here into Christianity, a new perspective. He says, you be filled with Christ because Christ has all the fullness that you need. Then he talks to them about shadows of things that are yet to come. Uh, Really, they had to deal with Jewish teachers as well. So they talked a lot about how to uh, follow, you know, do new moons and festivals, yearly, monthly, and weekly festivals, things from the Old Testament that were eventually to be fulfilled in Jesus. I heard one preacher say, uh, put it this way, I have a picture of my wife that I take with me on trips so that I can, you know, remember her and think about her. What do you think would happen if I came home and I... I sat down and ate dinner with the picture of my wife and, and ignored my wife instead. Just spent quality time with that picture. T- shared my day with that picture instead of with my wife. How long do you think it would be before I started to affect my relationship with my wife? What he says here is things that are a shadow of the complete things, we need to avoid those. And that may even include things like worship that we haven't put our full selves into, uh, opportunities where, where there's a fullness that we should be experiencing or doing that we're doing a hollow shell of instead. But Jesus Christ is the substance of these things. These shadows of the Old Testament and of other ways are pointing to Jesus Christ, and he is the solid completion. We need to focus on him because he is real and solid. And then he talked to them about asceticism. That was a real problem for them at the time, and even is to some degree today, where people think, you know, a good way to be holy, our desires are a real problem for us, is drawing us away from, from the Bible, from following God. Let me get rid of all the stuff that I have. That's really going to help me out. That's going to help me focus. Let me, uh, maybe if I, if I fast, or, you know, so I don't even fulfill anything that my body needs. If I just cut down on everything like, a, like monks did once too. Uh, let, me, let me buffet my body by, by making things hard for myself. That will help my spiritual life. That seems like a good thing. I mean, we even, I mean, Protestants, I guess, have done Lent for a long time. They focus on, for 40 days before uh, some festival, they decide something they really like and say, I'm going I'm to not do that for God. That's going to help me. What Paul tells them is, that seems to make a lot of sense. But it's absolutely worthless <laughs> in, in increasing your spirituality or denying or uh, overcoming the desires of your body. There's no point to that whatsoever. They also had to deal with people talking about worshiping angels, you know, going after a, a different kind of spirituality or visions uh, that, that seemed to guide them to a new kind of teaching or even the pride of men who wanted to to lead people in their own direction away from God. What he says is the problem is each one of these things is not holding on to Jesus, is not following Jesus. In fact, if you you do these things, 
in an effort even to become more spiritual, what you've done is you've lost your head. You're not holding on to Jesus Christ. And the body is not going to live without the head. It's not going to grow like it ought to grow without the head. It doesn't even make any sense. So we need to do everything we can to hold to Jesus Christ. And then finally he talks to them about um, ordinances that they were focused on, on earthly things, like don't touch this, and, uh, which is, would be a kind of a holiness regulations from the Old Testament. Uh, don't taste that and don't drink that. Whatever you do, you know, focus on these things and make sure that your life is straight in line. Do every individual thing. And what he says is, you're spending a lot of time focusing on earthly things. <laughs> this seems to be spiritual and focusing on you, but it's, what it's really doing is focusing you entirely on earthly things because what you're doing is you're trying to, to make things absolutely right here on the earth. And what he says is, if you've died to the things on the earth, you need to look above. Put your eyes on the spiritual, on what you cannot see. That's where your focus needs to be. So the next point, we go back to the life store and we ask, how does a mature Christian shop? Instead of just going out into the store looking for things that seem interesting, this person learns what God wants first. It, the knowledge of what God wants is critical. In fact, if you look all throughout Colossians, Paul's main thrust is, I pray and I work desperately so that you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ in fullness so that you can know how to live. So first you learn what God wants. Christ is the head. He's all-sufficient and utterly preeminent. So when we're filled with that knowledge, we can know what to shop for. And then you go get those things. That's a completely different kind of shopping experience. And it seems so obvious. If you were to go to the grocery store and do this, you wanted to get some things for your parents, or, or, and you, what you did is you just went to the store and grabbed whatever seemed good and then said, is this good? No, I'll only go get some more. It makes no sense whatsoever to shop that way Knowing what you're looking for and going out to get it is the right way to do it. But somehow it seems so hard to do in our lives. It seems so hard to live that way, to reach for that maturity. It does for me, at any rate. So we need to learn what God wants by immersing ourselves in the scriptures, by praying about it, by uh, later on he says that we're to work with each other. In Psalms, we're supposed to admonish and teach each other with Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're supposed to help each other see what this, what it is that the will of God is asking of us so that we can know what to go after. Well, we're not going to see a pile of things on the floor for this person. We're not going to see an aimless wandering. They're going to be going out into that store focused on Christ, not on the things in the store, focusing on what Jesus wants us to find. So unfortunately, there is a problem of sorts with this that seems to hit us, and that is the basic fear of missing out. If I go out into the world and I'm doing nothing but looking for what Jesus wants me to do, uh, what if there's something really great out there that I miss? Some really cool show that I didn't see because I was too busy focusing on just what God wanted me to do. Uh, what if I get bored? Maybe all the things that Jesus wants me to do is not enough. Uh, what if I'm disconnected from the world and from my friends? What if... What if I don't know the kinds of things that everybody is interested in? Will I miss something really good out there? 
what Paul has already told us is that if we're filled with Christ, that Christ is all-sufficient. That a life in Christ, directed towards Christ, is all there is here. He created everything in the world store, everything in the life store. There's nothing in there that he denies us that's good for us. There's no other source for good than what Jesus will tell us. So, that may make you feel like there's very little you can do out in the world. It's kind of frustrating. You know, the internet is pretty much off limits. Well, the amazing thing about the internet is kind of like this life story example. If you go to the internet or to YouTube and you ask for something, it will give it to you. <laughs> if you go in there searching for what you want to find, it will give it to you. But then it will try to push you towards something else. That it, something that will draw you towards your desires. It will present you things. We've all felt that push. If we learn to shop like this, then we can use the internet as a fabulous resource. We can use the world as a fabulous resource. If we're focused on seeking just for what Jesus wants us to find, we will find those things, and, and those will become tools for us instead of hindrances. Just don't let yourself get pushed around. So how long can we spend in that, uh, in the immature Christian stage? I can tell you from experience that it's a, longer, a lot longer than I wish it was. It's something that I struggle with constantly. And, and the question is, how can we grow up knowing what we now know, what Paul has already covered here? Well, what he says is, now that we know this, now that we understand it, we need to put off the earthly things and embrace the spiritual things. He says, if you died with Christ, if you were buried with him in baptism, then stop focusing on earthly things. Put off the old desires and behavior, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath. There's a list of them in chapter 3. And what's great about, what's, that's kind of a paradox in a way. He says, don't focus on earthly things, but here are some earthly things that you should do and you should focus on. How does that how does that paradox bring us to what's right? Well, the amazing thing is, every physical activity, everything that he shows us here in chapter 3, he connects to a spiritual motivation. He says, you should forgive one another. Because forgiving is good? No, because your Father in heaven has forgiven you. You should, I mean, each one of these things is targeted. It's an earthly living that's targeted to a, spiritual motivation. So we can do these things, express our focus on God in our earthly life without being focused on the earthly. And then, if in, when you came up out of the waters of baptism, if you were raised to walk in newness of life with Christ, then you need to put on some new things. Compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, bearing with one another, being patient, forgiving. Why should you forgive? Because Jesus, because God forgave you. And in fact, he goes on to wives. Submit yourself to your husbands. I mean, parent, or why? Because it's right in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. In another place, he says, like Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right for, in the Lord. Every one of these things, servants, masters, these things are all aimed at a life lived because we're doing what Jesus wants us to do. We need to live our physical lives wholly for spiritual motivations. Now that's pretty challenging. In fact, he says, 
whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, a high goal, and it's we may never be able to achieve it fully. But set a target. Do something to get closer to that. That's the life that Jesus has envisioned for us. That's the way of maturity. So when I study through Colossians, I ask myself some questions that I'll share with you. came from a Bible study book that really got to me. Right now, examine your lifestyle. What are you pursuing? Does it have eternal value? Is it drawing you closer to God or keeping you from time alone with God in prayer or in studying the word? Are you seeking the things that are above or earthly things? Examine your beliefs. Are you being deluded in any, with any modern-day philosophies or traditions that contradict the word or are not in the word? Are any legalistic rules that are not taught in the New Testament? How about any mystical teachings or prophecies that can't be supported by the word of God or have a tendency to add something that isn't there or even seem to be only for an elite group of believers, not for everyone? This is for everyone. Bible study takes time, and Satan will do what he can to keep you from knowing God and his word intimately because it's both the offense and the defense in spiritual battle. So will you make it your goal to let the word of Christ dwell in you and to walk according to its precepts? Are you proclaiming Jesus and holding firmly to all he is and all that you have in him as revealed here in the book of Colossians? And as we looked at the book of Colossians, did you see areas in your life where you're falling short or simply walking in disobedience? What steps are you going to take to correct this? I certainly have seen that in my life, and I need your help to become better at this, to become more mature. And I hope that this is encouraging to you and that we can help each other in this way. If there's anything we can do as a congregation to help you in your spiritual walk, or if you're not yet a Christian and you'd like to get those prerequisites in order, that is to devote your life to Christ, then come forward as we sing this invitation song and we'll help you.